Welcome to the Embracing You podcast with your host, Eric Pothen. We are all on our own unique journey to discovering ourselves. Each episode, I will help you navigate the journey within to reconnect with and discover the innate love you have for yourself. This podcast will cover topics from self-love to eating disorders and body image to mental health and to overall well-being. My goal is to help you honor and embrace yourself so you may live your most authentic life. Let's dive in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Embracing You podcast. I hope that you all have been doing incredibly well. Uh, I've been working on a lot of things with Embracewear over the past month or so, um, and so I am finally able to get around to put out this episode of the Embracing You podcast for you all today. Today's episode is all about embodiment and, and what embodiment is and how we can take this journey to become more embodied. And today we have a special guest and her name is Ellie Rocher. And here's a little bit of information about her. Ellie Rocher is the author of The Embodied Path, 12 Tiny Things, Play Like a Girl, and How Coffee Saved My Life. Her writing appears in the Baltimore Review, Inscape Magazine, Bearings, and elsewhere. Ellie also founded and facilitates Plum, a supportive online community for folks journeying toward deeper embodiment together. She teaches writing at the Loft Literary Center in the Minnesota Writing Project in yoga at Up in Bluma. Through curious inquiry, her work accompanies people to a more centered, whole, and embodied self. Ellie holds an MFA in writing from Sarah Lawrence College and an MA in theology from Luther Seminary. You can follow Ellie at Ellie Rocher and find more at plumwellness.us and ellierocher.com. Well, everybody, I absolutely loved this conversation I was able to have with Ellie, and it really got me thinking about how I can become more embodied as an individual myself. So without further ado, let's dive in. All righty. Well, hello, Ellie. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm so great. How are you? I am doing great as well. Um, Thank you so much for being willing to be on the Embracing You podcast today. Um, I'm super excited to dive into this conversation with you about your most recent book. Um, so to start this whole episode out, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe what you do and what led you to do the work that you do today? Sure. Um, my name is Ellie. I live in South Minneapolis. Um, I have two kids who are six and eight. And professionally, I say that I'm a freelance teacher and writer. So I teach yoga and writing at a couple different places here in Minneapolis. And then I just came out with my fourth book. And so I also do workshops and retreats and um, talks around the themes in those books as well. And I kind of fell into the work. I'm, um, I started out in the high school classroom as a teacher, and so teaching is one of my passions. Um, I'm a generalist, and so I like to do a lot of different things. And I think an important moment in my journey happened during COVID, um, during the stay-at-home orders, that my youngest preschool closed completely, and my kindergartner was on at-home online kindergarten full-time. Um, 
And at that same time, my mother-in-law moved and she was one of my child care providers. So at that point, I quit my salaried position and that's when my freelance work really took hold. And that coincided with my third book, 12 Tiny Things, coming out. And turns out folks really needed that book during COVID. And so I did a lot of work on Zoom with people around that and really enjoyed it. And so I'm I'm still in that chapter of my journey and really liking it a lot. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And we've had the honor to share a creative space together. We recently hosted a workshop on cultivating deeper self-compassion at Lululemon Mall of America a couple of weeks ago now. And um, it was such a beautiful experience. And to be able to share that space with someone so wise and in tune with their self was such a gift. So I just want to thank you for, for that experience. It was dreamy. It was just, it was a really lovely evening. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, so you recently published a book titled The Embodied Path, Telling the Story of Your Body for Healing and Wholeness. Would you be willing to tell us a little bit about this work and maybe what your inspiration was for writing this book? Absolutely. So the idea of the book is that our our bodies have a story that we hold stories in our bodies and that everything that happens to us happens to our bodies and that it can be really, really generative and healing to turn toward our bodies and honor that story, take time to mold it and craft it in a way that brings meaning and creates a sense of freedom and agency. I think how we tell our body's story really matters, um, and it can bring the sense of healing and wholeness. And then I also think the idea is once we have crafted our body stories and can, and are writing it and living it, I think that's one of the pathways to deeper embodiment. So that's what the book is about, is like the work of our lives is to actually inhabit our bodies. And we live in a very disembodied society. So that's kind of countercultural work. Um, and so looking at what the pathways deeper home into our bodies are, for me, telling my body story is one pathway in. So is breathing. Um, so is movement. And so there's breath exercises and movement practices in the book as well, inviting the reader to engage in the work. What are the pathways for you back home to your body? And then also, when we can share our body stories in spaces that feel safe, I argue in this book that that's going to put some pressure on society's limiting narr narratives about bodies, that in our society, certain bodies belong and are centered and other bodies are marginalized and everybody's losing because of that. So the more that we can share our own body story with each other, I think we can expand that sense of which bodies belong so that all bodies can be advocated for. All bodies can live into that sense of belonging in society. And then we're all going to get better. So the, the origin story of this book happened when I was 13. Um, I was a very competitive little gymnast, 
And right before a big national meet, I learned a new tumbling pass. And the practice before we left to fly out, I I crashed on that tumbling pass very badly. And I just shattered my elbow. Um, It was a double dislocation, compound fracture, um, very, very lowercase t traumatic in in the elbow. And so I was, healing was going really slowly and I was super frustrated. Um, I couldn't bend my elbow all the my arm all the way and I couldn't straighten my arm all the way. Uh, I had a very limited range of motion, which is important for gymnasts to be able to straighten their arms. And so I went into a checkup um, frustrated. I was feeling like a victim. I was thinking about what my body couldn't do. Um, and I kind of wanted some answers. And the orthopedic surgeon said, you know, I wasn't going to tell you how serious your elbow injury was because you're so young, but maybe you need to know. When you came into the emergency room, uh, you didn't have a pulse in your left hand. Uh, the the injury had cut off blood flow to your hand, and we were going to have to amputate your arm. So in that one moment, a huge shift happened in my body. And I went from feeling like a victim to feeling like a survivor. I went from thinking about what my body couldn't do to thinking about what my body could do. Um, I had this huge surge of freedom and agency. I went from feeling bitter to feeling grateful in one moment. And I think about that moment all of the time because the trauma in my elbow didn't change in that moment. What changed was the story that I was telling about the trauma that happened to my elbow. So I walked out of the doctor's office with a new story because I had a new piece of information. And I was going to live the rest of my life as someone who could have had one arm but has two. I was going to show the world what I could do with both arms, even if one of them was bent. So I still have a permanently bent left arm. I competed in college gymnastics with that bent arm because I was so focused on what my what my body could do, even with its limitations. So I really think this book was born in that moment when I was 13. I became obsessed with the stories that we tell about our bodies. And by shifting our stories, can we shift our sense of power and agency? I've walked through the rest of my life as embodied gratitude instead of embodied bitterness because I changed my story. So I got to sit at people's feet and ask them, like, tell me your body story. What has happened to your body? And it was transformational because people don't get time to do that. Every single person I interviewed from the book at some point paused and said, this is so powerful. You know, or like, are you sure you want the long version? It's like, yes, I want the long version. Tell me everything. And in sharing their body stories with me, threads came out and themes came out and they had realizations they had never had before. And I got to witness that. So it's a deep, deep, deep passion project of mine. And I am now sharing those body stories with the reader uh, with a gentle invitation to join in the work that your body has a story too. And I want to hear what it is. Yeah, thank you. That was really, really beautiful. You had mentioned that as you were listening to these people's stories that you started to find these threads as they were sharing. Did you see any like intersect of those threads with one another, like of those individuals as you were listening to those stories? And if so, what were they? 
Absolutely. It was so interesting. One of my favorite parts of the creative process was after I had done the interviews, having the people's names on little note cards and playing with how I would make chapters out of the book, like what themes emerged and which stories got put next to each other and then what what kind of rose to the surface because of that. Um, one of the people in the book I interviewed after the book came out, and he said he read the book in one sitting. He couldn't put it down. And as he was reading, he just kept having this realization of like, this is all the same. Kind of the boundaries between your body and my body dissolved a little bit. And he was able to have this transcendent experience reading this of like, oh, all of the ways that our bodies are deeply connected, how all of these stories talk about these moments when we have felt sidelined from society and and the importance of 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 inclusion and and belonging and and welcoming folks back into the fold so that we can all benefit from each other's presence um so i just thought that that was fascinating. And it was so fun to put these two stories that in, maybe on the surface seem disparate. When you put them next to each other, you just start to see all of the connections. Uh, and then one example I'll give of this is that um, I interviewed several folks who are in, who identify as queer in one way or another, transgender bodies, non-binary bodies. Um, I, I interviewed a Catholic nun who identifies as a lesbian, and she grew up in a time when we didn't talk about this at all. And um, so hearing folks in different generations um, ex using different words and different historical context for their body stories was so powerful. And after the book came out, I invited all the participants to meet on Zoom and really meet each other, um, not just having their stories in the book. And the folks who identify as part of the queer community were all there and they would just cry listening to each other's stories and tell each other how much the other person's story meant to them. And, you know, for this woman who's in her 80s to have these folks much younger than her thank her for being brave and sharing her story and doing the work that she did because the world is changing. Um, it was so powerful to sit back and witness that and realize this book became something for people to belong to and um, and to benefit from not just telling their own story, but then listening to each other's, which is what I hoped to set out to do. And then I got to see it in real time, which was incredible. Yeah, that had to have been like a really incredible experience for you to just, like you said, kind of be the witness of all of these people tell their own very unique and individual stories come together and just share that space. And I think that really, you know, shows the importance of and the power of sharing our own story with others, because I'm a firm believer in if when we share our story, if another person can at least see maybe 1% of their story in your story, it lets them know that they're not alone. Their story is not quote unquote wrong in air quotes. Um, but it just, it, it gives a sense of validation. It gives a sense of, okay, maybe my, there is more to my story. I'm not just creating all of these false narratives in my mind. And I think it can really empower 
individuals to dig a little deeper into their story. And I think I am so looking forward to reading your book um, and whatnot in the near future here, but what a gift you gave those people to share their story. Because also, like you said, there's such a different sense, like you said, with, with your own story too, like you went from victim with, you know, when you had heard about the um, fracture in your arm and it would actually cut off the circulation to kind of feeling empowered. Like there's such a shift in your mindset. And I think, you know, when we get to share our stories, we become empowered to own it. And that can create such a, a powerful internal shift within us, right? Like, it's like, this happened to me, I'm going to honor it now, instead of be so shameful, and and try to like suppress a lot of that, right? Ugh, yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, when we speak things out loud, the shame drops away. Um, and shame can be very isolating. So, you know, I like you're speaking to both movements that I'm talking about. Crafting your own body story validates your story. And then so often when we share it, the folks come out of the woodwork and say, well, let me tell you how my story relates to that. And then all of a sudden we don't feel quite so alone. And that makes a really big difference. Another, you know, another moment on the path of this book becoming a book, um, I had, before I had my two children, I had two miscarriages. And we are conditioned as women to not talk about our miscarriages. Uh, we're supposed to keep it to ourselves. And I really think nobody wins in that silence. And so I wrote the story of my two miscarriages as an essay. And I started sharing it. And of course, one in four women, you know, like come out of the woodwork and say, oh, me too, me too, me too. And, you know, this is what I mean about creating meaning. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense that I had two miscarriages, but I can make meaning out of it by being the narrator of my story. I can honor what happened to my body. I can continue to wonder about those the, that life inside of me. Um, and I can help other humans um, who had a similar brokenness feel a little bit less alone. And so I would have, have friends start to email me and say, hey, I have a friend who just had a miscarriage. Can you send me that essay so I can send it? Um, and and so then that's the, that's the power of sharing it. So the miscarriage story is in the embodied path. Um, in hopes of breaking that silence. And that's where I'm talking about, I think that everybody loses. It's like, if we ask, and it's not just women, right? Bodies who are pregnant, bodies who miscarry, um, to be quiet about that. I just think everybody loses. I think we would have so much to gain from leaning in to folks when they're vulnerable and broken and grieving and listening hard and allowing that vulnerability to make our society better. Um, there's all of this pressure to bounce back, to, to have speed, to get back to it. To what? Like the productivity and the efficiency and the individualism of our society, it's making us sick. I went to work the day after my miscarriage and I didn't tell anybody. I just went, I just bounced right back. Well, of course not, right? No one in my work setting got to benefit from the way that I was beautiful and broken and holy in that moment because I kept it a secret. Um, and so I think that 
in terms of our, the, the harshness of how society is set up for certain bodies, bodies that can move quickly and be efficient and productive, like we place a higher value on those bodies. And I think it's doing harm. I think it's making us sick. And so I really deeply believe um, that when we do feel safe to share these body stories as much as we can to soften society and 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 start to rewrite those narratives that we're deeply independent, interdependent rather, I'm sorry, we're deeply interdependent, that none of us gets through the day without assistance, that so much has happened to all of us, that all of our bodies are resilient. Um, I think we have a lot to gain from that listening to each other. Yeah, absolutely. I want to rewind here a little bit and and touch briefly upon the point that you had just mentioned of, you know, we give so much praise and attention to the bodies that are fit or the bodies that are quick and can do all of these things. And I think what that can do for other individuals who don't have that body or have those bodies is to really begin creating those like limiting beliefs that I think keep us stuck. And, and I think that's where, that's when we put up kind of that hard exterior that we don't want to dig deep. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to honor ourselves. And we, we fall into this comparison game. And I think I just want to keep going back to like, you have done such beautiful work here with allowing people to, you know, release that hard shell into, and to take that journey within to allow them to tell their story to soften, to offer self-compassion, self-love, all of those things. And so um, I just wanted to point out what a beautiful job you did right there, kind of pointing out society's role. And I think in a lot of the problems that I think people are facing with their own body and the stories that each person's body has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. So I want to rewind here a little bit as well. You've used the word embodied uh, a, a couple of times. Would you be willing to describe or define what that word means for our listeners? Mm. Yeah. For me, what I'm talking about is that, again, I think in our society, we are conditioned to live in our minds and to value our minds more than our bodies. Um, I think we live in a society that pr- can practice mind-body dualism that separates those two things and values the mind higher. And then um, over the course of history, minds have been associated with men and with elite and with whiteness and bodies have been associated with women and people of color. Um, women who you know, bodies that bleed and breastfeed, for example, that's work of the body. And so much where society will invite us to be up in our minds, to be ego-driven, to lead with the intellect, with the ego. And for me, we miss out then. The wisdom of our bodies have so much to offer, and we are encouraged to build kind of a dam between our minds and our bodies and, and, and override the communication when our bodies are trying to get our attention. And I do think this has to do with this society that's driven to be productive and efficient. You know, when our bodies are asking for rest, we're just supposed to override that and keep going. And so I deeply believe 
that part of the work of our lives is to inhabit the bodies that we have. They're amazing. They're so wise. And if we can turn toward our bodies and listen to what our bodies are trying to tell us, that is one way of knowing, right? So um, to notice our bodies and how they're feeling and how they're trying to communicate, not only to listen, but then also to respond. For me, that's what it means to be embodied. It's carving out an inner intelligence of sorts where if if I'm in a difficult moment, I have capacity in my body to act from a depth of core instead of reacting from the surface. So I think about it, my ability to respond um, being deeply tied to my ability to stay embodied. So I'll notice when I have a lot of energy in my mind and I can do a simple breath and that exhale can invite me back down into my body where my mind and my body are connected again. And I can move from a place of body knowing. I think it's really important for us to understand the energy that our bodies have when we walk into a room, that our bodies can do harm and they can do good. And the more work I've done on embodiment, the more I have people sense that my body is safe, that I'm going to, I'm not going to react, um, that, that I'm here, I'm actually present, I'm where my feet are planted. So Resma Menachem wrote My Grandmother's Hands and the Quaking of America. He talks about how the elders in society don't need to wear name tags. Children know who the elders in society are. They are the adults who have continued to inhabit their bodies. So they feel safe to children. Uh, these are the bodies that can get down on the floor and be vulnerable and play still. Um, and so you don't earn the right to be an elder just by getting older. We have to do the work. Um, so the society that's going to continue to invite us to be disembodied, um, we have to recognize that and and know the pathways back home to our bodies. We know more and more about trauma that the healing actually happens in our bodies. We can't think our way out. We can't think our way through healing. We can't force healing. Um, this is something that happens in our bodies. And so the more moments of the day we can spend inhabiting, living from there, um, the more we can do that, that work of metabolizing some of that trauma and having space in our bodies to be present, regardless of what is coming at us, what's right in front of us. So that's how I think about it. Absolutely. And I, I resonate with a lot of that like 110%. That's a big part of my own mental health journey right now is I've discovered that there can be a, a pretty big disconnect between my mind and my body where, you know, very much so as you described, like our bodies are communicating to us every day, but I ignore it and my live 85% of my day up in my mind. But it was really until I discovered this disconnect that I've learned to pay more attention to this and, and in this work that I've been doing, it's kind of been a lot of like self-soothing inner child work a little bit as well, where I'm having to like apologize to my body for not listening to it and for not honoring what it is communicating to me. And I think what kind of is challenging for me in that is typically when I notice myself up in my mind, it's when I'm experiencing some pretty intense emotions. And I don't 
I don't trust myself to move down into the body because I'm too scared to feel what can actually happen once I drop down into the body and give it the space to resonate and, and exist in its full capacity. Um, and so I feel like I'm getting much better at, you know, taking a moment to pause when I actually do have some sort of physiological cue that my body is trying to give me and then respond from that place as opposed to suppress, 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 intense emotions, bottle up, bottle up, bottle up, bottle up, and moves me further and further up into my mind until I dissociate. And then I'm just completely detached from body and mind. And so um, I think you just did a really beautiful job of painting this picture of what it means to truly be embodied and connecting both mind and body, because there can be such a softening and a sense of your body just says, I love you back to you when you choose to create that stronger connection between mind and body as well. That's right. Well, and when we start to do this work, I think one thing we live into is the truth that doing this healing work is hard, but not doing the healing work is also hard. The work of repressing is still labor. It's still difficult to keep your emotions down and to live above it. That takes effort. And so if we're going to be applying effort anyway, why not choose the one that's generative and life-giving? It's not easy. This is not easy work. Um, it does lead us somewhere somewhere new, right? Um, and so I've been thinking about that a lot is, yes, we're always going to be invited to repress, to override, to get up over on top of our emotions, allowing our bodies to feel what they feel without attaching value to those emotions, just letting those emotions come up and breathing through them, acknowledging that those feelings make sense and it's okay. Um, That is very, very difficult work. It feels different to me than the difficult work of suppressing those emotions. (laughs) Um, it It feels softer. It feels more like a returning and a coming home than a like a controlling, a gripping, a grasping, um, which doesn't end up leading us anywhere fruitful, <laughs> right? And it's not going to go away. It this it never goes. It doesn't go away. The the that labor will always always be there. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of you know choosing discomfort in moments like that. Yes, it's a very challenging thing to do, but ultimately, being uncomfortable is what's going to create those more beneficial long-term changes in whatever it is that you are trying to just work on in the moment. I think so. I kind of want to go back to this concept of telling our own body stories a little bit here, but. Why do you think it's important for us to reflect upon and own our body stories? Oh my gosh, so many reasons. <laughs> um, so for one, I've, I've mentioned a couple of the main reasons that I think kind of rose to the surface in writing the book and doing my research. Um, there are really, really difficult things that happen to us and everything that happens to us happens to our bodies. In crafting a story around what happened, we get to become the narrator and the main character of our story. It gives us power and freedom 
an agency um, where we can do some healing work. I think I think the the journey of crafting our body story can bring meaning where there are some things that are never going to make sense, but by choosing a beginning and a middle and an end and choosing details that have memories that have their hooks in our bodies, like that is so validating. And we can look back at these stories that have happened to our bodies and in telling it, really honor it and allow it to to take up some space uh, and breathe. Um, I think that that can be super healing. Um, I think in writing our body stories, it does break down that mind-body dualism. And, you know, I think, I think that our oppressive structures have some stake in us st- staying disembodied because then we don't connect with each other, right? So I'm, I'm very interested in telling our body stories to open, keep that pathway open between our minds and our bodies so that when we're in community and we're embodied, I think that's where the revolution can happen. Like that's where policies can shift. Like that's where a community that has the resiliency of embodiment can sustain uh, and do some interesting things. So there's, you hear a personal there and a systemic, right? But then also there in the middle of those two is this interpersonal. I do think that it can... Um, heal relationships um, by by allowing folks around us who love us access to to our version of, of what's happened. I've I've I wrote things in the book that people who care about me very much didn't know happened to me, you know, and they feel like they know me better and can love me better um, by by honoring my body story. And then it creates space for them to be in that mutual relationship and tell their body story um, right back. And I do think we know that trauma exists outside of linguistics, right? And so, but I, I do think that there comes a point in time when we are ready to attach words to things that happen to us. It can be hugely healing when we tell, when we're able to tell a story about the trauma, um, so that's not going to happen right away. Um, so I remember I, the first, my first draft of my miscarriage stories. I tried six years afterwards, and my writing teacher said, "Oh, that's pretty quick. <laughs> that's pretty soon, right?" So it takes a really, really long time to be able to attach words. When we can, I think that it it is one of the tools to metabolize through some trauma and do some healing work ultimately so that we're bringing a different type of energy out into community and maybe we're passing a different thing on to the folks who are coming after us. Absolutely. And when you said that, you're inviting people and letting people know that it's okay to meet themselves with where they're at on their journey, wherever they may be. Like we can't rush a timeline that we don't have definitive dates and times for. And I think if we can just truly allow ourselves to trust the process, which can be incredibly hard to do, especially for myself, and just know and trust our selves and our bodies that they will communicate to us and let us know 
when they are ready to share that part of our story or share that part of ourselves with others. I mean, it just hit me like this when I chose to become public with my own story of living with an eating disorder. And I thought never in a million years, this would be something that A, I would honor that this was a part of my story, but B, also share that with the world. And that was all just me placing trust and and just kind of being open and keeping my heart open and and whatnot. And so I just really like the fact that you mentioned that it's okay to not be ready to share your story right now. Like just just trust yourself and and you will know when. And there are body stories that aren't traumatic. So that's a place to start, is just recognizing that everything that's happened to you happens to your body. So there can be really light, fun body stories that we can share. I've just noticed folks then taking on that language of like recognizing how their bodies feel in very mundane moments. I think it's really helpful just to recognize that we're bringing our bodies to each moment of our day and we're bringing our bodies to every interaction that we have. So with my writing students, um, there's this pressure to go straight to the most dramatic thing. (laughs) And that's not always the right strategy, right? That we can work on crafting stories around something that feels a little bit lighter, where the stakes aren't quite as high. Because when we're telling our story, we are manipulating it. We are the author of it. And you're not ready to do that until you're ready to do that. And, you know, grief is unwieldy. It's non-linear. It's non-triumphant, right? And so um, we really, really have to tend, tend, tend to our bodies and not try to force it. That's right. Absolutely. Um, I know you had mentioned that when we can offer ourselves self-compassion um, to our bodies, that it can kind of result in this softening that takes place within. Um, But in what other ways do you think offering self-compassion to our bodies feel like to us? Mm. Oh my gosh. So I have started to say that I am in a season of softening. Um, Yin yoga has been a huge part of that journey for me. Um, The first time I took a yin yoga class with Megan Foley, she said, where can you do less? And I laughed out loud because no one had ever asked me that question before. And I had never asked myself that question before. And I knew right away, oh, this is my growing edge. Um, how, how inefficient can I be right now? How can I practice not gripping? So being a gymnast age four through age 22 I have a lot of patterns still in my body to brace for impact. But my life isn't doesn't have as much impact as it used to. And so, but after that many years, I've had to repattern the instincts in my body and show myself compassion, get my body to trust that it's okay, that it's safe to let go, to release, to soften, um, to slow down. So I was reading the book, The Myth of Normal, and there's a section on perfectionism. And one of the sentences said something along the lines of, no one is born a perfectionist. And 
I kind of started because that's how I would used to explain myself. Well, I'm a type A workaholic perfectionist, you know, just go down the line. And it's one of the things that made me a very competitive gymnast, very self-disciplined, very intense, very driven. I have that pit of fire in me. And um, he went on to say, being a perfectionist is a condition. Is is it's a condition we take on. It's a protective strategy. Somewhere along the line, you were made to believe that you weren't good enough just the way you are, sitting on the couch in sweatpants with your feet up. So you have to be the best at everything to earn your keep, to defend your existence. And I realized, oh my gosh, I wasn't born a perfectionist. There's no such thing as a baby perfectionist. You know, like that. At some point, I was a soft newborn, and and then. And then something happened to, over the years, and it, that patterned in my body. So it shows up in me clenching my jaw, pressing my tongue against the roof of my mouth, slouching my shoulders, gripping through my pelvic floor. Um, everything is not only braced for speed and efficiency and perfection, but it's also bracing for impact. And so these last few years has been this beautiful practice of self-compassion, of noticing that instinct, telling my body that makes sense. We're up to something different now. We're safe. In order to repattern, we have to be moving slowly enough that our body trusts that we can try the thing the softening, right? That's why yin yoga is so beautiful. It's like, you're not going anywhere for a few minutes. Why don't you just practice doing less, unclenching? And it's really when we stop pushing and pulling that then that expansion can happen. And so this is all me explaining how self-compassion has felt. It's come down to like me, instead of rushing through my morning routine, moving a little bit slower and being a little bit softer with myself. When I'm quick and and driven with my language to myself, I pause and I slow down and I soften my thoughts and my language toward myself. Um, I'm doing body practices and breathing that is trying to repattern that like hold everything high and tight because you have to keep it together. It's leaning into the fact that perfectionism makes it hard for people to love me because I never, I never need you. <laughs> um, and, and and maturing into the the shadow side of that hyper competence um, and allowing myself to be human and vulnerable and interdependent um, to I to have needs. Hmm. And to honor those needs, not that, not as less than, um, but as human. <laughs> so, those are a few examples. It's it takes courage. It's hard. Uh, it it feels so good when when I can be brave enough to do the work. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me in my own journey of living with an eating disorder. The perfectionism also ran very deep within, um, not only as I was living with my eating disorder, but it's really, you know, how do I, now that I'm in recovery from my eating disorder, there are still moments where the perfectionism tries to sneak back in and the eating disorder thoughts try to sneak back in. And very much so, like you said, it's like, you notice and you're like, nope, we're doing something different. And how empowering 
that is when you can truly pause and notice and intentionally take a different step towards what you are wanting to do like that for me whenever i can successfully do that it's like a pat myself on the back sort of deal and that is worth celebrating and i think i have such a hard time celebrating myself that i think i'm learning to celebrate the little things like that and to just build myself up and not necessarily seek the validation of other people of saying, Hey, I just, you know, did this. Yes. It's okay to share those wins with other people and to have your community behind you. But also I think it can be even more potent and powerful when we can provide that validation for ourselves. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such good work. And I think I'm going to sneak body stories back in there because one of the reasons that I invite folks to actually write things down is because it can be really powerful to create a geographical distance where you're looking at something on the page and you're outside of it. Like that's that same noticing. Like sometimes it's easier to see something when it's outside of your body and be like, huh. And that helps the noticing in real time so much, like to pick up on patterns ways that our bodies, that our life has patterned itself in our bodies can really create insight. It's sometimes tricky to be on the inside with your chatty roommate in your head, right? And and so I do think reflective writing, it's been proven that there are health benefits to it. I also think it's really helpful in this self-compassion that you just mentioned of saying, I'm noticing this, I'm up to something different. Sometimes like You know, when we read back through journals, we can see new things from outside of the page, um, which can be really interesting. Absolutely. So before we wrap up our time together, I know you had just mentioned journaling, but I'd love to leave our listeners with some food for thought um, or just an opportunity for them to maybe start reflecting on their own body story Um, So would you be willing to share just a couple of guiding prompts or guiding questions to get listeners' brains turning if they're wanting to begin doing this work themselves? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, this is so great. Um, So part of being a, a writer is just being a noticer. So it could be as easy as as writing down at the end of the day, you know, like three things that you saw, three things you tasted three things you heard, three things you felt. What that does when you do something that simple at the end of the day is it invites you to live the next day a little bit differently, to notice of like, oh, if I'm going to write down my words at the end of the day, I'm going to do my homework. And you start using your senses and interacting with the world differently, more embodied. So using our senses is a really easy way back home to our bodies. And I think that folks can get intimidated by the word journaling. And so I like to give things right off the bat that aren't even sentences, right? So they could just write, you could you could just start with your senses and at the end of the day, write a couple of things that you noticed and then see how the next day feels. Are you starting to like interact with the world at a, with a little bit more attention? Um Similarly, you could just write about like what are what are some cool things that your body can do? You know, just like realizing, oh my gosh, our bodies are absolutely incredible and we take them for granted 
all of the time. So what's something your body loves to do when you're still? What's something your body loves to do when it's active? What's something your body loves to do when you're alone? What's something your body loves to do when you're in a group of people? Um, What's something your body's done that you're really proud of? And that's just to start gaining an, an appreciation where you're seeing your life as an embodied person. And then I'll do I'll do one more. There's a bunch of writing prompts in the book. And for folks who love it, there's also an embodied writing journal uh, to kind of help walk you through the whole deal. But one of the things I love to start with um, is to pick a body part and write three different snapshots of that body part from three different seasons of your life. So think about your hair. And, and the way that it's looked at three different ages, right? Or your teeth um, or your hands. Um, you know, pick any body part and pick any three moments. And that's such a fun writing prompt because you can always change up the body part or change up the moments that you choose. And what that starts to teach us is, oh, that's right. My body has been through so much. And by connecting those three snapshots, we start to get a sense of a narrative of what our bodies have been through. Um, I said I was going to do one more, but I really want to do a last one too. One of the things that cool writing prompts can do is remind us that our subconscious is really powerful. So sometimes I'll set a timer for like five minutes and I'll just write sentences for five minutes that all start with, I remember. And then what it just, just memories come up and you try, you try not to overthink it or control it. You get out of your own way and you just see what bubbles up to the surface. And for the first few minutes, it's going to be memories that are kind of folklore, you know, that you've heard over and over again or that you think about a lot. But eventually, if you put enough time on the timer, some really interesting hidden memories are going to come out where by the end you'll have a litany of memories that might not be chronological, but they might correlate. And then to kind of look at the clay that you've put out on the paper and see, do any of these memories have some electrical charge? Like, do I want to go back and kind of dig deeper and walk around that memory 360 degrees and see if there's a story there that I want to excavate and tell? Um, So that can be a really good starting point too, to just remember we're swimming in stories and not only does that mean like all around us in the world, but that also means in our, our our own memory bank. And the memories that stick with us stick with us for reason. Writing stories around that can be really expansive and healing. Mm, thank you so much for sharing all of those. And I just love that, you know, all of these stories that there are to tell, like we each have our own. Like there is no wrong way to tell our own story. And so I really want to thank you for, you know, stating multiple times throughout that it's your body, your story, and anyone can tell their story, their body story, right? It doesn't even have to be traumatic. It could just be, okay, I'm here. Here I am right now. Let's talk about, you know, the story of my body from when I can first remember to now. And there doesn't have to be any big sort of 
trouble or problem or any sort of trauma associated with your body as you tell this story. But we've talked about this as well, too, but like how there can be such a sense of self-discovery in the process. And, and, and you can learn so much about yourself and the way that you operate and the way that your body processes a lot of these things as they come into you and as you experience them on a day-to-day basis. So I just really want to thank you for making this seem very approachable and doable for all of the listeners today. So Ellie, I am just so grateful for your time and your insight that you've been able to provide today um, in this conversation we've been able to have with one another. And I love being able to have open conversation with you. You have so much depth to who you are as an individual. And I feel like we see eye to eye on so many things. And I'm very, very grateful for the connection that we have. But for listeners that are looking to learn more about you and and find some of the other work that you do, where can they go to find you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I teach yoga at Up Yoga and Bluma Yoga in Minneapolis. And I teach writing at the Loft Literary Center, the Minnesota Writing Project. Um, All my books, kind of all my stuff can be found on my website, which is just ellierocher.com. And then um, another thing that I'm doing is an online wellness community called Plum Wellness. And that's at plumwellness.us. And there's Um, Everything from breath exercises to journaling prompts. We're doing a lot of body story sharing there. There's yoga classes and writing classes. So it's kind of a one-stop shop (laughs) for everything that I love. And um, for folks who are interested in this deeper embodiment journey, but maybe want a little bit of support, don't know where to start or want to do that in community. We have a really beautiful community of folks gathered there, and um, the first week is free, so people can just go over to plumwellness.us and and try it out, see if it's a good fit. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure to include all of that in our show notes for listeners um, so they know where to access all of the work that you do. Um, But once again, Ellie, thank you so, so, so much for being on the Embracing You podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Ellie for being a guest on the Embracing You podcast episode today. And I don't know about you all, but I left that conversation feeling incredibly grounded and more embodied. Uh, I think one thing that I am really working on as an individual, as I, as I continue to do this work on myself, is learning to pay attention to what my body is communicating to me on a daily basis and responding after noticing what it is trying to communicate to me. So until next time, I hope you all continue to take care of yourselves. You remind yourself that your body is your home and that you need to continue to treat it with love and respect. And lastly, I hope you choose to listen to your body more and and really send it some love and help it be heard when it's trying to communicate to you. Much love.